You're listening to the American Alpine Club podcast, your guide to the climbing community. Cross is an adaptive climber who uses a custom prosthetic ice tool to climb waterfall ice around the country, as well as alpine ice routes in her home state of Washington. She's a part of the North Faith's Athlete Development Program, and her mentor is longtime AAC supporter Kit Delorier, the first person to ski the Seven Summits. The AAC sat down with Kimber and Kit to talk about Kimber's emerging career in alpinism and ski mountaineering. We also cover mentorship, setting goals, and some of the ways the larger climbing community makes assumptions about adaptive climbers. Dive in to hear some fascinating tales from the mountains, including raising a wolf and doing a bit of spontaneous hang gliding in the Tetons, and to learn more about how Kimber is pushing her climbing and changing the narrative. I'm your host, Hannah Provo. Here's the beta. Presented by Adidas Terex, a global leader in the outdoor sporting goods industry. With the mission to enable all humans to live a more connected, conscious, and adventurous life, Adidas Terex combines high-performance technologies with fashion-forward designs to weather the forces of nature and inspire every human being to find their own summits. Since 1981, Outdoor Research has created trusted apparel, accessories, and equipment for you to thrive outside. Their award-winning outdoor gear is meticulously researched and tested for outdoor enthusiasts and military users around the globe. Grounded in their values of curiosity, passion, innovation, collaboration, and community, OR strives to create space for all in the outdoors. OR celebrates wins outside at every level together with their ambassadors, nonprofit partners, and employees. Check them out at OutdoorResearch.com. Okay, Kit and Kimber, welcome to the AAC podcast. I'm super excited to both have you on because we're going to talk about mentorship. We're going to talk about Kimber's story as an athlete and just, I think, I'm really excited. I think there's a lot of potential for this conversation. But let's start with kind of some getting to know you questions. If you could each introduce yourself. And I'm interested in particular, like, how do you self-define? Which I think is a different question, potentially, than how do you introduce yourself, right? Like, what are the parts of your identity that are, like, super important to you that you want everyone to know about? And I want you to be as expansive as possible. You could be like, you know, the answer could be, I'm a climber, right? But what else? And like, is there other parts of like non-climbing you that the world should know about as well? So uh, Kimber, can you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, thank you for having me on the podcast. And yes, my name is Kimber, uh, Kimber Cross, and I live in Tacoma, Washington, a little city south of Seattle. I am a climber. I focus on rock and glacier and ice climbing in that realm. What makes my story a little bit different is um, I was born with a disability uh, called terminal transverse defect. So my fingers on my right hand did not fully develop. And so I have a little bit of, you know, what 
began to be my thumb, what began to be my pinky, but you know, for visual, the other part of me is that I'm a kindergarten teacher. And so I like <laughs> to explain it like it's the shape of a cat face, the outline you know, of a cat, you know, my palm. And uh, that usually gets the, the young ones to uh, get excited about the unknown when they first see me. And sometimes it's their very first time seeing someone uh, with a, a limb difference. So yeah, I am uh, an adaptive athlete or in some circles, an athlete with a disability. And that definitely is a part of my identity, but it's not all encompassing. I'm also a national board certified teacher. I've been doing education uh, over 15 years with like 12 of them being kindergarten. If you can believe that, it's a fun, uh, a fun career for sure. And uh, those worlds really have blended quite well in the last couple of years, kind of as I became a climber or an alpinist you know, later in life, around 30, I kind of share that story in the classroom and, and get to show, you know, what the outdoors looks like, what it looks like to be a female climber, a climber with a disability. And so, yeah, those are kind of two pieces of myself. Awesome. Kit, go for it. <laughs> okay. My name is Kit Delorier, and I live in Jackson, Wyoming, and I have been here a while, a long while now, so that's worth mentioning. I'd say, let's just say my first ski pass was the winter of 99-2000. Yeah, I love it here. I moved here from Ophir, Colorado, outside of Telluride, so I'm most comfortable where the mountains go straight up out my back door, (laughs) because that's what I really like to do. I am a member of the North Face Global Athlete Team, specifically as a ski mountaineer and have been for 18 years. So my niche is climbing and skiing mountains. I also love to rock climb. I just love being outdoors. And I guess if I was going to say something about myself that wasn't just about that piece, I would say I'm a lover of wild places. I do some volunteer work with Alaska Wilderness League. I serve on the board of directors. I care deeply about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska, so I work on issues around protection of the coastal plain of the Arctic Refuge. I am a mom to two daughters. They are now 14 and 15, and I love adventuring with them and sharing outdoor adventures with all sorts of people. I just love being outside in wild places. I raised a wolf in my 20s, and I think the biggest takeaway from my life with him was just to be yourself, because there's no other way to be, to be true to yourself. So yeah, in my work in the athlete team, I mean, I could say that I'm, and I'm also, you know, they are really into like product design, and I just... I just love being up in high places and challenging myself that way and immersing. I got to have my feet on the earth, frankly. Don't get me wrong. I love to go on a surf trip here and there, get (laughs) my toes in the ocean, but I'm a feet on the earth to be grounded and in my creative space kind of a person. Before my work with Alaska Wilderness League, I did uh, six years of service on the board of American Alpine Club. Yeah. Um, so could you each tell us a little bit more about how you got into climbing or mountaineering and alpinism? Yeah, I 
joined the Mountaineers. So out in Washington State, we have an organization called the Mountaineers, and you can take a basic alpine course, an intermediate alpine course, along with a lot of other outdoor-centric uh, classes. And I did that with a friend who we both were going through our first big heartbreaks in life, and she suggested that we self-soothe by climbing Mount Rainier, Tahoma, um, uh, one of the volcanoes out here. And I thought that was a great idea to kind of shift the focus. And so, yeah, the friend and I decided to self-soothe our heartache in the mountains. And so with that course, I learned how to rock climb, how to travel on glaciers for the basic course. And then I fell in love with the North Cascades out here, the Olympic range. And suddenly, you know, I'm having these experiences on peaks and an alpine starts kind of that type two fun, that suffer fest, a lot of mountaineers like to call it. And just finding a deep love of nature, a deep love for the people I was climbing with. You really get to know someone on, for example, Mount Olympus is about 44 miles round trip. So you have a lot of time to get to know uh, new climbing partners. And I just found that what a diverse group of people that had grown up all over the world that were taking this course. And in addition to the love of nature and a new respect and love for people, I found just an incredible growth in my heart and in development in my heart as a confident female, um, as an athlete. And so I took the intermediate course and that course focused on learning to lead on rock, lead on glacier, and then also ice climb. And that's become a huge passion of mine because obviously you, you do need two hands to ice climb and I was uh, lacking one of them. And so that whole story and process of building a, a prosthetic with a doctor, you know, enabled me to take ice climbing that portion of, of the course and fast forward about eight years. Uh, I'm currently the intermediate chair alpine chair for the mountaineers and our specifically Tacoma branch. And so one of the few female chairs and the first disabled um, person on the chair um, and the dis first disabled through the entire course in, in the branch. Um, so that's kind of how my love of the mountains got started. Awesome. How about you, Kit? You want me to answer the same question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jeez. How did I get started in the mountains? How did I get started in the mountains? I don't even remember. When I was a kid, I lived in, when I was like, until I was about 10, we lived on the East Coast. And my life at that point was filled with every, I guess, normal and kind of almost school related activity around me. So that did not include downhill skiing because I didn't live near a ski resort. So I played soccer and softball and volleyball and tennis and swam and ran track and cross country and even get out there and be like badminton and blah, 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 <laughs> like everything competitively and, and also sometimes at the state level um, eventually in high school. 
And then my experience in the outdoors was really a gift that I'd say my dad started me on the journey with a ton of outdoor adventures. And then when we moved out to Arizona when I was in middle school and high school and, you know, we would wake up on the weekends to bacon frying and March tunes blaring and my parents would be packing us up and take us out into the mountains for the weekend. So, and even before that, Nordic skiing was a big thing, but for me, it was walking around in the farmer's fields in New England on cross-country skis. So I don't know, it was really just like a freedom thing for me of a place where I could go and be and just be myself. The mountains don't care about your skin color or your gender or your age or your disability or your skill set. They just are. And so it was a place where like as a middle a middle child and I just have always been a little bit of a wild child, I could just go, if I was outside doing something, then nobody really checked on me. <laughs> that was my thing. <laughs> I went to college at University of Arizona in Tucson and that's actually where I started to rock climb and uh, up on Mount Lemmon. And it was really sad that like the day I was getting ready to go lead my first climb, my partner fell on his lead and injured his ankle. So it was that piece of it was sad, but it was also a little bit of a gift because then I went back and decided to finish college <laughs> that semester because it was borderline right there of if it was going to happen because I was really loving rock climbing. And then the day I graduated from college, I moved up to Telluride in Ophir, Colorado. So that was something that I had had my sights set on for like six years at that point. So I just manifested that as soon as I graduated and, and then immersed myself. So I guess quite different from Kimber. I never had any traditional um, courses in my world. I just went out and did it and had friends and I mean, it was back in the day long enough that I can honestly say I read Freedom of the Hills and I went for it and I met up with friends and carefully chose friends that could be mentors also. So I studied I had my one, I was a 4.0 GPA, except for the one semester I went to the south of France for a semester of college and ended up dropping out and hitchhiking to Verbier and living there for a while. So I just kind of surround myself by by people that I'm drawn to that are living a lifestyle that I want to live and doing the things that I want to do. And and yeah, it went like that. That's awesome. And I think actually it's a really good segue for kind of establishing why you guys are both here on the podcast together. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit about the athlete development program and like how that manifested for each of you and how you're, you ended up in this uh, situation? Yeah, I was hearing about, um, this was over a year ago now, that the North Face wanted, you know, to kind of pilot a new program where, you know, athletes could apply and through a process kind of get chosen for a two-year kind of athlete partnership with the North Face, where the North Face wanted to, you know, find a diverse group of just kind of incredible people with incredible stories and support them, you know, financially and in the realm of, you know, gear and travel. And, and then also what made me apply was the, the mentorship. And at that point, you know, I didn't really know what mentorship would look like. You know, it's like, you know, cool. I like North Face gear and the North Face is, you know, uh, such a badass brand. 
and, and respected athletes, you know, I, I look up to and admire, like, you know, what would it really mean for me and, and my journey? And I applied, kind of found out I got it. And the last almost year now, it's been year one of our two-year program. And I would say what has been most meaningful for me is the mentorship piece. And getting paired up with Kit has honestly almost felt like a perfect match from the universe or a divine match in just growing in uh, mentorship and friendship with her and, and gleaning a lot of her wisdom over her years of being an athlete. And so, yeah, I'm a part of the athlete development program. And uh, that's kind of so far what it, it has entailed for me. Kimber, if I may, I'd love to add that this is the very first time that the North Face has taken on a challenge like the Athlete Development Program. So this is very much a pilot project. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very unique and has never existed before. So it's really fun. And it's cool for me because I was like, yeah, sure, let's let's do it, right? I just said that I have... Uh, had a number of doors open for me through very informal mentorship. So this is this has really been fun. And we actually got to meet in person and hang out for a few days and go on adventures and, and just hang out about a month ago here in Jackson. So yeah. so that's cool. And a lot of the time that we spend is really on Zoom and and just talking through things like that and it's crazy cool because you don't even realize what depth of you know accumulated knowledge and wisdom that there is to share until you let somebody else ask you questions (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so true and you know we I feel like you know time with any mentor you know time with Kit is you know, valuable. And, and I think also the, the teacher in me that loves to kind of organize lists and emails and set up everything. I was very much like, you know, sending her an email like, hey, I would love to talk about these topics. When are you free? And it kind of just built off of that. And we would go into discussions on, you know, self-branding, discussions on expeditions, you know, packing lists and, you know, how you work with new partners, questions that you should ask a new partner as you're kind of setting up an international climb, even, you know, relational questions and, you know, how does she, you know, have the duality of a, of a life of motherhood and partnership with her husband, as well as being, you know, a mountaineer, a ski mountaineer. And, you know, that's super meaningful to myself as well as um, I, you know, have a partner now and uh, we are engaged, which is super exciting, but he has two teenage boys. And so getting to you know chat with Kit about raising teenagers and, and watching parents do that and kind of, you know, getting to step into that bonus mom role. But also, you know, my life is in the mountains. And what does that look like? How does, you know, is, how is that a healthy, realistic um, experience? And so it's been really fun to kind of come at her with all these questions. And then from there, you know, building a friendship with her and going out to Wyoming and, and spending those a few days with her. And uh, it's just super fulfilling. And, and for myself has been super eye opening as far as 
you know, what are the aspects of myself as an athlete that I, you know, want to take professionally and, you know, where do I need to grow and how can I expand in public speaking even? And, and that's a unique avenue that both of us have experience in and, and has given me so much advice on building a website and from everything kind of in that realm of being a professional athlete these days. And so it's been really fun to become friends, but then also just get, yeah, decades of wisdom from someone who's who's been there before me, who's gone before me. Yeah, I feel like you guys have a really unique and special opportunity with this program because I hear people talk about the mentorship gap in the climbing community all the time. And I was wondering if like, you know, Kit, you were just describing like, I don't, so it doesn't sound like you fully felt that when you were starting to get into all these sports. But I think a lot of people that are more recently getting into these sports do feel this like mentorship gap because there's just so many folks trying to to climb that it's kind of hard to find those connections. And I was wondering if like, do you see that? Do each of you like feel or experience that? And how does like, you know, courses fit into it? Like you did, Kimber, like, is, is that part of the, the mentorship piece, but uh, only part of it, right? Like having a one-on-one mentorship situation is way different. Having a one-on-one mentorship situation is way different. You're right. Although I think it's important to kind of, to realize that when you were talking about being a professional athlete mentorship, it's not like I'm out there teaching Kimber or mentoring Kimber much at all (laughs) in like the one-on-one, like let's like actual vertical mountain world. It's really the bigger aspect of what it is to be a professional athlete. So I don't, does a course exist for that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it seems to be an extension of this larger thing about education, like Mm -hmm. on a basic level education. Right. And then kind of what also some of the things that you were mentioning, Kimber, of more the nuances of like making mountain choices when you are like also, you know, you're training to be a professional athlete, but you also have a family and like that sort of thing. Yeah, I've I found, you know, being in the Mountaineers and that specific course and, you know, there's organizations all over the country and really the, the world where you can kind of formally join it and built into their programs are usually mentorship aspects. And I know the Mountaineers has a mentorship aspect, but really with the new students coming in. So at the basic level, there's opportunities for those who have, you know, finished the intermediate course or are in the intermediate course to mentor new basics. And that, you know, in my experience was really fulfilling. I had a a lot of great mentors that would, you know, teach me how to kind of, you know, create an email about a climb that I'm planning and, you know, what are the logistics and the group gear and kind of all that framework when you are creating a climb that you're bringing a bunch of people on. And so that part, you know, was there and I learned and ironically, it's just been my experience, you know, in the last eight years, it's been mostly kind of a male dominated mentorship in in my life. And, and I have absolutely loved all my mentors who are, you know, are male and have taught me how to climb and in all the various forms and kind of how to lead. Um, But as time has progressed, what I'm really enjoying is, especially in my, you know, mentorship with Kit is getting mentorship, but 
but from a, a female perspective, from someone you know who identifies as myself, and, and we have you know so many similarities that really you know just aren't aren't there in other aspects with you know former mentors I've had. Um, but I feel like in that formal mentorship piece, you know, there there's pieces that you know I really want to see expand. And you know, Kit and I had a conversation about you know ski mountaineering, and you know that's not really in the realm of the course that you know I oversee. But there was a ski mountaineering accident where you know they fell into a crevasse and didn't have they they had the rope. And the other team, you know, their harnesses weren't on and just different things where it's like, oh my goodness, like, did we miss that piece of mentorship in the course? But, you know, ski mountaineering is outside of the course and having that conversation with Kit about it just further in my mindset of when talking about, you know, the time of day of skiing and relating it to climate change and, you know, how glaciers, you know, are just kind of different now in, in May than 10 years ago in May. And, and all that aspect. And so, you know, I'm learning that whether it's formal or informal, like it's so valuable to have mentorship. And and then the female on female mentorship is is pretty much, you know, priceless, regardless of what your, you know, topic of conversation each time, or whether it's hard skills or soft skills or, you know, professional athleticism skills in, in the branding world. And I've seen a growth in the Mountaineers specifically, you know, since I'm so closely tied with them, where the amount of female representation has grown and, you know, I'm able to now mentor uh, women as they're, you know, doing their, as part of the course requirements or, you know, like leading a group climb up rock, leading a group climb on glacier where, you know, they are like the head of this, you know, expedition, this climb. And, and it's been really fun to learn from Kit all the, the little pieces as I bring them into the mentorship that I'll give towards a new climb leader, someone who's coming up in, in this climbing world. So yeah, mentorship, I think is just really pivotal in both the professional and, and recreational side of the outdoor world. I think it opens inclusivity right there because somebody's inviting, somebody's partnering with you yeah. on, on everything, on the deep stuff. There's somebody that you can go to with all your questions and you don't feel so alone. Yeah. I mean, so do you think that, do each of you, I'm interested in your opinion on kind of is the solution to the potentially larger mentorship gap that people like to talk about kind of having more structured formal mentorship, like the Mountaineers, like as you're describing, and um, like the athlete development program, or is there a way that as a climbing culture, we can kind of get back to that informal mentorship more often that used to be the case. What do you guys think kind of on a larger scale could we maybe be doing about it? I think it's a combo. Like everything. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I, I still take courses, you know, I try and take something every couple of years and always one is every two or three years is my wilderness first responder. So I, because I care deeply about that, being able to help other people in the mountains when something goes wrong, because eventually it does. And it might be something small, hopefully. <laughs> but anyway, like that and like this winter, I took um, my friend Z, Zahan Bilamoria's Big Mountain Snow Safety course, because I thought, hey, I want to see what is Z teaching? Like what are the Tetons are this place where some of the best climbers 
and now ski mountaineers also have come from. And Z moves in the world of guiding, which I don't. So I'm like, oh, I want to see what their newest tricks are. You know, what are they, what are these guys doing out there? Like when I first took my kids up the Grand, I was the first time I started paying attention to like how the guides are lowering their clients or back up belaying them off the free hanging rappel stations, right? Because I was like, wow, I'm going to have to change to a guide mindset, right? When I'm taking my kids up. And so I think it's really important to just kind of always have a learner's mind, no matter how experienced you are and soak up, learn from other people, soak up and incorporate whatever it is that matters to you. Another thing on my list is always, um, well, I guess I said it with Z's, but I've always loved um, my friends, Sarah and Don Carpenter, when they owned American Avalanche Institute, I went ahead and took a level three is what it was called then. Um, now it's like pro track too, but I, I was the only person who wasn't a guide or a forecaster in the course, but I just wanted to take it because it was all that was left for me for the next stage of snow science and avalanche safety education. So I very much keep this learner's mindset and I feel like those are places where you can meet really amazing people and you can always hone your skills. And if you think you can't, then I think you should take a closer look because everybody's got something that they can improve upon. So there's places like that that I think you can grab, if you will, an informal mentorship that you may end up getting a formal mentorship, but grab these opportunities that are out there and, you know, you might just, you might find somebody becomes like a little bit of a mentor. It doesn't need to be so structured, right? There could just be something, some like some piece of precious something that you grab from somebody and you can do that a lot. And then there's really no substitute for going out and doing it too. So I wouldn't overlook you know, the people that you would think of more as your peers and less as your mentors. So, because this is not a knowledge that you can gain just by talking and learning and even going to a course. It takes years and years of practice. And the only way to practice is to go be in the mountains. Yeah. You know, and to add to that, it's just like, you know, learning an instrument, you know, you, there's a level of proactiveness about it and constantly doing in addition to reading and watching others. And, you know, I found that there's, of course, courses offered. There's now, you know, clinics, you know, from the Bozeman Ice Fest to the Smith Kragen Classic. And as it's grown in popularity and you know, barriers are being reduced, you know, for everyone's access, you know, to the outdoor world and to climbing. I, you know, I see scholarships and programs, you know, for, you know, different affinity groups where, you know, that mentorship and that that learning piece is is there. And, you know, my heart in, in being involved in the Mountaineers or, you know, whatever adaptive clinic you know, I can be a part of with different organizations is, you know, how can I make this something that's really accessible for people to then own for themselves and, and take on that. And the, the great thing is in the age of social media and connecting with people all over the country, you know, one of my closest mentors came from, 
being a customer service person at an outdoor company. When I first joined uh, the basic Alpine course, I had to buy a lot of things and their little text message on the internet popped up and they're like, Hey, my name's Case. How can I help you? And flash forward, you know, many years, um, he's now one of my closest climbing friends. And, you know, once I had my prosthetic ice tool made, met me out in Provo, Utah, taught me how to ice climb, worked with me. And so mentorship can come really in the craziest of ways. I like to say like, you know, my customer service agent, uh, you know, became my rope gun and my mentor when I was learning, you know, really, you know, technical climbing um, as in rock and, and in ice. And so it's there and, you know, let that passion, you know, kind of provoke you to, to reach out to people and, you know, I'm always messaging friends um, all over the country and, and getting wisdom from them. And every, gosh, every climb I'm on, I feel like I, I glean a pro tip from from someone, um, especially if, you know, they have years of experience above me. And it's just kind of really grasping onto those those opportunities and those times that I do get with people. You know, Kimber, you just said like a lot about the actionable and the grasping onto. I think it's so important for people to realize that that requires a little bit of a, a mix of vulnerability and it requires mm-hmm. then follow-up and action, right? So like when you and I meet, you before you even ask me for a meeting again, you've done what we talked about the last time, right? You've got, and that makes yeah. me want to show up even yeah. more because it's like, she's doing this. She really cares. And in our situation, we were paired, but I'd like to share um, a story about a friend of mine that, another friend of mine that's in Jackson here, who's, we also have like a, a mentor-mentee relationship and we met on the ski hill. She was just skiing by and I was skiing with a bunch of kids and um, one of them threw a shoe, dropped a ski behind me and um I didn't see because I was just skiing. So she skied by and she was like, hey, you know, one of your kids is down. And and so we chatted for a second. And then when she turned around, when she started to ski past me, I turned and watched her ski. And I thought, man, who's that? She can ski. And then she DM'd me that night saying, hey, that this was me that we met on the ski hill today. And she's a former U.S. ski team mogul skier and is getting into ski mountaineering. So she's like, I hope this isn't too weird, but I just want to pick your brain. And I said, sure, let's go skiing. (laughs) So we started skiing together. And, you know, I always say start off small. We did. We just ripped around the ski area together for a day. So, you know, little to no um, consequence there. And then we started doing smaller ski tours. And she was new enough to it where I was literally like teaching her how to set a good skin track and different things like that. And and then as time went on and not even that much time, she was able to take these amazing skill sets she already had in uh, on her skis and turn them into ski, backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering and shared with me her goal of climbing and skiing the Grand Teton, which we did in our second year of knowing each other, just us two as a, as a rope team partners. So, you know, she and I have talked about this mentor-mentee thing a bit and and her name is Sophia Schwartz. And um, her big takeaway on it is that you really have to reach out to people and you really have to ask them for something. And you also, 
really should be a little bit, I guess, humble, I'll say, in like, when does it work for you? Or, you know, is this a good time? And understanding that this person probably gets asked for time and for mentorship, you know, a fair bit. And um, you just got to like keep showing up and keep being accountable, right? And keep doing your thing. And, and that requires this really amazing mix of being vulnerable and working hard. Yeah. So that is very, uh, we could keep talking about mentorship for forever. <laughs> um, but thank you for all of your insights on that. I did want to make sure we covered a little bit more kind of about like keeping working hard and then for what? Like what are some of your dreams and goals, um, each of you coming up? <clears throat> well, for myself, you know, the the mountains in Washington have kind of, you know, where I've played for almost a decade now. And I kind of have my sights set, you know, internationally or, you know, bigger ranges like in Alaska. And also the journey with kind of creating a prosthetic ice tool where I'm not just following, I'm leading. You know, that's been a key piece for me. It's, you know, even with rock, it's like I I want to show up as much as it even equal as I can, because it's, it's my passion. And I love that. I love being on the sharp end. Um, I love, you know, having, you know, two tools in my hand, you know, one attached to my arm. Like I, it's incredible to think in this day and age, this technology allows me to climb waterfall ice and, you know, to play screws and, bring up my follower and swing leads. Like it's been just incredible. And so my personal goal as, you know, time goes on, I've been doing this for about four, four years now. The ice climbing piece with with the prosthetic is just, you know, going to different places and getting on, you know, new ice, harder ice, finding, you know, new partners and learning from them. But another key aspect is I'm, you know, also transitioning into the ski mountaineering world. And out in Washington, we have, you know, our five big volcanoes. And so it's kind of been a personal goal to, to ski off the summit of all five of those volcanoes. I've climbed all of them a lot, many times, many, many times over in different routes. And so the idea of skiing it, you know, being, I'm still, you know, kind of a, a disabled skier in the way that I, you know, attach my pole to my mitt. It's kind of this MacGyver, you know, industrial strength zip ties and Velcro and it's, it's working. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of in talks with, you know, companies right now who are thinking of how, how can we build a professional grade kind of attachment pole, you know, to your arm that you're safe with and your skiing can make those hard turns because the more tech, technical routes I do, the more I really, you know, you have to use my poles. And, and uh, so that's kind of been an exciting goal. I've done two out of the five so far this year, you know, I skied off the summit of Mount St. Helens. And then a month later, skied off the summit of Mount Baker. And those are just really exciting things because I started skiing with one pole and did a lot of, you know, kind of pulling between my legs on flat parts or, you know, kind of like scooting myself across or, you know, touring up, skinning up, you know, my core got really, 
really uh, fit as I'm like kind of balancing on each side and okay, don't fall. And I, you know, I have to kind of use my balance versus the pole. And now that I have two poles, it's kind of opened up that whole world. And so that is, you know, a current and future goal that I'm, I'm aiming towards. And I have, I, I looked and I haven't seen that there have been um, disabled ascents, you know, my type with upper limb differences. And so kind of, you know, being the first to kind of accomplish a task like that, it's kind of an exciting personal goal. Kimber's got some, um, she's got a really strong mind and a really strong body and really amazing sense of balance. So while she does have this limb disability, um, she's capable of just about anything. It's pretty awesome to watch. And Kimber, that reminds me, we should put that conversation um, about the ski pole on our agenda at some point because I got to my and we'll ski together this winter and yeah maybe you can rely a little bit less on your poles um, they are necessary as it gets steeper for sure but yeah there's tricks out there <laughs> to minimize love it love it <laughs> sounds great I just want to keep doing what I'm doing at still the same level or increasing I'm 53 now and I love it as much as ever. I just ran up the grand with my good friend Jimmy Chin yesterday and we soloed it. So it was like mixing just fitness with intense mental focus and some technical climbing at the top, you know, pretty much in our running approach shoes with a little water pack on and had to hit this timeline because Jimmy had a flight back to work in New York and... <laughs> so fun um i just love i just love it i just love being in the mountains and doing more things i just want yeah i'm never one to say specifically but i will share that a group of adp athletes of which kimber is a part a subgroup i'll say a team of three has had a proposal accepted to go into the ruth gorge in alaska next spring so I'll probably be going on that, Kimber, <laughs> and um, yay, other mentors and mentees. So that'll be really fun. And then you know, I get I get to start to think about how to mix skiing into it because I do enjoy climbing, but I mostly ice climb if it's in my way to go ski something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, in your way, I love that. I do want to follow up, Kimber. Could you tell us more about your experience as an adaptive climber? Um, you know, you told us a little bit about your prosthetic, but like also what has been your like cultural experience or maybe what are some of the things that you see in the climbing community that you wish people knew more about? Yeah. Kimber, if you're, do you want to say you want, do you want the, um, the sport climbing versus trad climbing thing? I thought was so interesting when you and I got to climb <sighs> together, right? Yeah. Bolts dictate which yeah. side you're on and that's a challenge for you. But if you can trad climb then it's yeah. easier for you to lead. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, thank you for that that reminder. Yes, yeah, so to rewind, you know, when I literally showed up day one for the basic Alpine course, the kind of leader of that course came up to me and was like a very blunt and honest person, which, you know, I love. And they're like, I'm going to be honest with you. The committee was not sure that they should accept you into this course. And I was like, oh, uh, why? Um <laughs> And then obviously the concern was, you know, repelling, belaying, climbing, you know, this is a two-handed sport, but 
you know, I, his background, he's like, I am a vet, you know, a wounded vet. And I know what adversity and moving through that looks like. And so you have no excuses and you will just explain how you do it and you will do it safely. Um, so yeah, no shortcuts for you. Just show up and I believe in you and getting that first off the like, oh my gosh, like this group of climbers, like didn't think I should even participate, uh, was kind of a a gut check because, you know, safety is on their mind and it's not just, am I safe? But, you know, when you're roped up with a partner, like your lives are roped together. And so there is that reality of like, yeah, I want my partner to always feel safe, to always feel like they're with someone who's capable. But then, you know, the other side of that coin, you know, and he was like, do not doubt yourself. As honest as I am with you about the situation, don't doubt yourself. And you have a place here. And being the first, you know, kind of disabled person in in their course was, I think, eye-opening for everyone. And so now, you know, in my life, you know, I obviously modify and adapt but it's all within the realm of, hey, I, I do it. I do it this way and and it's all safe. And, you know, the way that, you know, my, my systems are redundant and I can climb and, you know, with the aspect of rock that, you know, there's sport and then there's trad. And, you know, the, the unique thing about sport climbing is the route is pretty much dictated by by the bolts. And so, you know, is there going to be a hold for my right stump that I can, you know, mantle on or, you know, just kind of like push off, stem off of there's, you know, a unique mindset I have to go into if, if something is a higher grade and not easily accessible for me, because it's like, I have to clip, I have to clip that, that bolt that's right there. And with trad, you know, it's kind of a choose your own adventure in a, in a little bit, or, you know, if I need to, you know, place my gear and then, you know, move up to a better hold for my right stump and then replace it or you know, place something right away after, you know, th- there's a little more that I can play with, you know, to make sure that um, I'm kind of moving through the route. But I love the challenge regardless. Like I, you know, grew up definitely, you know, an athlete, fast pitch, basketball, volleyball, but I definitely had a huge insecurity that this meant I'm less than. And just with society and pressures and my, you know, your mind has your own insecurities that it fights, you know, the climbing world was like, will I be accepted? You know, will I have partners that will trust me on hard things, on harder routes? And and that is where I stand now. You know, I love the fact that there's clinics, there's adaptive climbing clinics, adaptive ice climbing clinics, being a part of those, going to them as, you know, a participant and now going to them as an instructor or, you know, a volunteer means the world to me because, you know, I didn't see anything my entire adult life. Like I only figured out I could maybe do the ice climbing portion of the class because that same leader who had said, Hey, we have concerns, but you can do this. Showed me a blurry picture of Maureen Beck, you know, another North Face athlete. And years ago she climbed with a prosthetic ice tool and he's like, this chick did it. So like you can. And I, I was like, Oh my gosh, no, but you're right. Because growing up, all I had was in the nineties, there's Jim Abbott 
and he was a California Angels pitcher and he had one hand and he would, you know, have his glove on, he would pitch and then quickly put his glove on, you know, to be, to catch or, you know, whatever. And so that's all my parents had to convince me I had a place in the sports world. And consequentially, I became a pitcher for nine years and had a coach that would come up from Texas. You know, I did I did fast pitch all through grade school and I loved it and I was good at it. And, you know, I had a modified glove that stayed on my stump. You know, I didn't switch gloves. Um, and so that was my fir- first window as, as a youth to go, oh, I can do a sport like it'll be different, but I can do it. And so then in the climbing world, you know, to see that at 30, like, oh, I wish I had seen that picture of Mo when I was 10, or I wish I had, you know, people around me that were like, Hey, you can, you can do that um, when I was younger. And so now that I have that in my thirties, it's really an amazing gift. And, and I hope what I want to see is not just, you know, Oh, you know, you're a disabled climber or you're an adaptive athlete. And so like, you're always going to be in those clinics. You're only just going to like be climbing with your friends, whether it's like this kind of mental, you know, personally mine or, or others just thinking, oh, like, you know, you, you must want to go do those clinics. And I'm like, well, what if I want to do like an intermediate mixed ice course that Conrad teaches, Conrad Anger, you know, at the Bozeman Ice Fest, like, can I go sign up for that? Or will there be more like doubts and fears about like my safety or my, my capabilities? things like that. And so, you know, what I want to do in my story and my journey is, you know, go for my goals, push myself. And, and I hope that can open doors for people to go like, oh yeah, like I feel safe on a belay with you or yeah, you can totally lead that and you can you know grow and modify it in your skills to, you know, get to this level of climbing and and I feel like that that's a new, a new door that I, I don't see fully opened yet. But I, I know will be, you know, for climbers coming up that, you know, have disabilities and, and that kind of gets me excited as far as, you know, kind of what story do I want to leave behind? It's just kind of, you know, pushing through every door and every perceived or perceived by others, you know, wall in front of me. I just want to, I'm just going to climb it and it's not going to stop me. <laughs> so I think sometimes people do treat the affinity spaces as separate. Um, in a way that kind of you're pointing out is like, it's great that that's an affinity space, but we're just going to keep that a separate thing. Yeah, they're needed and they're, you know, it's necessary. And it's so good for, it's been so good for my heart. And I know it's, you know, so good for the hearts of people that join those groups. But I, you know, I want someone without a disability to not fear when I'm belaying them that is she going to drop me? Or not fear, you know, having a conversation with me. I had a great conversation with my friend that I climb with often out here, you know, Scott, and he was like, how, you know, when talking with a new partner, like, you know, what is the language piece that is important to you? And I was like, it's not asking like, hey, can you do that? But how do you do that? And there's that minor switch from like, can you do it to like, how do you do it? Real can mean a lot for someone in my, you know, disabled space, because I'm like, truly there, I do do it. And, and I don't want people to feel like they can't ask how they can't check in on their safety with me as a climber. Cause you just don't see that 
you know, in able-bodied climbers, like they can ask each other anything. And, you know, I, and I want that to be a safe space where like, you can ask me anything, you know, just, you know, asking it from not a place of like, you know, I'm, I'm a deficit, you know, but just curiosity, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Great. Well, I also wanted to ask um, a few more questions about dreams and goal setting and that sort of thing. But first, I wanted to kind of like, this didn't quite fit in to the intro questions, but I think it makes sense kind of as a way, one more way to like tie it all together for both of you. Kind of we learned a lot about both of you in the last 54 minutes. I'm interested, like what gear of your climbing career your mountaineering career do you think you changed the most and how maybe how do the pieces the things that we've talked about so far kind of come into that year that you changed Mm. do you want to go first kit i think my biggest shift mentally because i feel like that's where you're getting at is was when i won the world free skiing tour and the reason is only in a little bit of a little part was the little extra skill set that I had forced myself to integrate to ski at that level, which I was doing so that I could, I was doing because I wanted the challenge of meeting the other people there, but the challenge of competing and seeing how I did with others. But I was also really honestly doing it to push myself in my skiing so that I could take it elsewhere into bigger mountains more confidently. And that's what happened for me when I did that for those two years on the World Free Skiing Tour and won the overall championship because I came to skiing a bit later in life than most people. And I know I was a bit older or like a decade older than my competitors. So I was my own um, affinity group (laughs) times two right there. And I didn't grow up with skis on my feet for sure. And so when I came out of that and I realized what I was capable of with my skis on my feet, because I was a climber first, I think that really shifted the most for me. And that was about the time that I dreamt up climbing and skiing the seven summits. And I started those concurrently with my second year on the free ride world tour. And then, yeah, and then the following year finished it with, with Everest. So it was that it was that timeline and it was really believing in myself and then that just translates to you know day to day it was like you know i just used it yesterday on the grand it's like this mindset and like oh wow that's scary and i'm not kidding i pull from any of these moments that i've done something scary that i've done really well and so i just remind myself oh yeah you you can do this mm, that's great i think you know i have like two kind of moments in the mountains where you know I remember going like oh my goodness I think this is the trajectory I want the rest of my life to go towards because again you know similarly to Kay like I I was in my 30s when I started climbing it was a later in a life later in life sport and I had done as a first year basic Mount Olympus you know, which is out and back, you know, 44 miles, big glacier, rock climb. And then the tooth out here is a multi-pitch rock route, my very first. And then I did Mount Rainier, Tahoma. 
and that was all in a nine day span. And, you know, being a, being a teacher, you, your summer's off, you're kind of able to, you know, throw all of your uh, focus in, into that, thankfully. And, and I realized the joy that it gave me of just constantly sleeping out of my car or just packing and organizing and then the physical exertion that it took to do, you know, three big peaks in nine days, like it rejuvenated, exhilarated my entire being, my frame. Like if I'm like, okay, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, I just felt a shift where I was like this, I, I understand myself now. And, and I have so many more questions about myself in the world. And, and then the second piece uh, or the second time was climbing the Couts route on Rainier in 2021, because my goal in joining the intermediate level and doing the, the ice module was I want to be able to go climb those Alpine ice routes, you know, on on those mountains, on those big mountains. And out here, you know, we call waterfall ice unicorn ice because when it's in, it's like in for a couple of days and the approaches are long and you're just like, yeah, going to work to get on the the ice out here. So I do most of my waterfall ice in many other states with a lot of partners that live out there, but completing the couch route with my prosthetic ice tool and topping out and realizing like, oh my gosh, like, a disabled person, a person with a prosthetic, like that hasn't been done before on this route. Like I, what I envisioned that did not exist, you know, two years ago and took a year long process with a doctor of creating this, you know, tool to give me access to a sport that I was sure I was falling in love with. Like that was a monumental moment to stand on the summit and to know I got up here, you know, because I had this prosthetic attached to me and an amazing partners and that was kind of a, a defining moment for me. Just a sense of of big accomplishment um, and, and big dreams getting fulfilled. Yeah, that does sound really profound, like a very like visceral moment. I am glad I asked because both of you like absolutely just lit up and told these really incredible stories mm. about kind of honestly about how much the mountains transform us like each in our own individual way, right? Which is so cool. Yeah. So I guess I want to ask directly, you know, both of you have talked about being a female athlete. Like, what do you wish the climbing community, the Alpine community was talking about in terms of like or recognizing about kind of what it's like for female athletes? I don't know exactly what to say there. So because, you know, I did lead early on with the truth of how I feel and that the mountains don't care about your gender. I really feel completely gender neutral when I'm up there. And that said, there's still times when, you know, women have to do something above and beyond that men don't have to do. Um, so I don't know. It's really tricky. There was a moment in time, you know, and I think it was probably like, in my world, at least, you know, if I was like 140, I might give a different time frame because <laughs> I think of, you know, there's some amazing badass women that came before me for sure. But in my time, I would say in like the 2000s, there was this push for all female 
to do things, you know, and then like the first female. And I feel like there's a bit of a, a continuity with that story as there as there is now for doors being opened for other groups. So like with disability or skin color, you know, there's like, there's times when it's really important to kind of band together and then, and learn what you need to learn and have the support that you need. So there's times when being on those all women trips were great. And then like when I'm listening to Kimber tell the story about just ask me how, not not if I can, right? It's it's kind of that way for women too. It used to be, can you? <laughs> and now it's like, how do you do this or that? And, you know, how is it different? And so I like that the doors are opening and I love that Kimber just wants to do what she loves to do. And it's not about the disability. And, you know, to show up for whatever aspect of climbing at whatever level she wants to. And so I guess I see that parallel that I just wanted to call out if I could that um, I think like women breaking into climbing is maybe in some way opened the door for other groups that identify differently to break into climbing too. Mm. I think that's well said and you know, for me personally, being someone who deals with really bad periods, I can be just frank and honest. Sometimes I feel like that is more of, of a hindrance in the mountains than my disability where, you know, there's been days on a route where like my cramps are so bad, you know, it just, it overwhelms me and, and you know, my body feels like it's shutting down. And then you know, so there's times where it's like, you know, will my climbing partners, you know, who you know don't have periods, will, will they empathize, understand, like understand the need? Hey, I, j I need 20 minutes right now to like take some medicine, regain my strength. At, at the same time, you know, there's aspects of just phases that you go through, you know, with a female body and, and on a period where I feel so strong on my period and I'm just like crushing it. And so I, you know, would love to see, and I do see, and I'm thankful, so thankful for the many, many climbing partners, the many men in my life that have had empathy and patience as I'm keeled over, you know, my, one of my first dates with my fiance, you know, was taking him up Mount St. Helens and, uh, you know, I had my period and every 500 feet, I would like literally drop to my knees in pain. But, you know, I knew like, you know yourself, you know, you're safe and you know, you're okay. And it's just the physical pain and the meds, meds not kicking in yet. And, you know, making it to that summit and he was just like, what can I do to support you? And it's just even eye opening for him. You know, he, his background was in mountains. And so he's, He's had a fast track of into mountaineering the last two years. And so he's just like, I am blown away at the incredible strength that I see coming out of a woman when she's on her period. And and he's like, it it's not something that I would have thought. I thought that would have like done you in. But the fact that you push past it and he's like, that is that blows my mind. You know, because you, you wanna you wanna seem, you know, dating someone new that you're capable and like nothing's slowing you down. And so you do feel a little insecure. I felt a little insecure, like, oh my gosh, you know, he's going to think I'm weak. I'm like, you know, 
dropping to my knees. Um, but he, and I hope others, you know, will, will see, you know, aspects of, of being a woman in the mountain, um, as strength and will show empathy. Um, the more it becomes normalized, if that makes sense. And, you know, and, and everyone will start carrying tampons regardless <laughs> of who you are. Cause honestly, they are great. You know, you have a wound, stick that in. You know, <laughs> um, honestly, like, uh, if you've seen She's the Man, you know, that movie with Amanda Bynes and also, you know, it's in my med kit. And yeah, so just funny aspects like that, you know, where it's like that that's just real life. That's real life for me in the mountains sometimes and struggling with that. And I'm always like, ah, it's that time of the month and I have a huge climb. But you know what? Like I can do it. And, you know, hopefully my partner is is there for me even in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kimber, I um just did a a little interview for a teenage friend of mine and she was asking me a pointed question about how is it different being a woman and um and I answered the first part kind of similar to what I shared here and that you know in some ways it's not different right? right but then she was digging some more and I actually answered about the menstrual cycle and his story on Everest that I wanted to share with you mm -hmm. right now yeah which was there was a day, right? You're on the mountain for, I was on the mountain for a really long time, like seven weeks at or above 17,000 feet. So there was a time load carrying up from base camp that I was on my cycle and I felt terrible. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Do I really, is this really why I feel so bad? And I'm lagging and I'm actually like slowing down the pace of our small team of four. And to the point where I had to, you know, here's that word again, like be vulnerable and just yeah. share and be like, I feel terrible. And, you know, somebody in the group was like, well, can I take some weight? And that was a really hard thing to do, but I did it right for the, it was best for the group. And the really important thing to mention is that it was just a couple of days later when I was stronger than any one of the three men that I was with. And mm. I was the one saying, wow, you really, you look like you're suffering today. Can I carry this or that? And I ended up taking a load bigger. So it all comes around. And I think that's mm -hmm. part of the beauty and strength of being a woman. It's not just pushing through in that day. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's being vulnerable and sharing and then um, realizing that we're actually stronger later on. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love the way those stories complement each other. Okay, so we're we kind of at the end of our time. I was wondering if I know you guys gave a sneak peek of some of your goals coming up, maybe some adventures you're going to be going on. I'm not going to push for details, but I do. I'm interested in asking kind of all pro climbers, any climber, honestly, like what is your goal setting process? Like, how do you think about goals? What what inspires you? And what is your process when you're thinking about goals? I think for myself, you know, being a kindergarten teacher for a majority of the year, you know, every day you create kind of a learning target, a learning goal. And so, you know, it's so enshrined in what I do every day and, and it's kind of for the purpose of purpose. Like, what is my purpose in this lesson and, and teaching the kids that like, okay, we're learning how to count, like, you know, why are we doing that? And, you know, today, like now we're in writing and our goal setting in writing is to, you know, 
put a capital letter at the beginning of our sentence. Why do we do that? And so, you know, the goal and learning targets that I use, you know, in my career as an educator, you know, I shift into my, you know, also career as a climber um, and a mountaineer. And, and I find that it's, you know, little goals that refer to, you know, my skill set, my fitness, my skill set, you know, okay, I want to climb, like my goal was, you know, be upping my sport grade, like that's the area that I felt this the most scared. And so I really wanted to give the most effort. And so to go from a 5'8 sport climber to, you know, a 5'10, and that range of 5'10, you know, sport climbing this past year, it was just that, you know, could get, get on, get on routes and, and do it and, and start, you know, there, there's training in the gym and there's lifting weights. And that's so much of a, a passion that I have and, you know, staying fit, but then like really that goal setting is going to happen when I'm doing the thing that I want to improve in. And so it's taking, you know, that, that big overarching goal of, you know, wanting to be you know, a, a ski mountaineer wanting to be, you know, a, a sport climber and then reducing it down to, you know, those smaller short-term goals that I can watch my progression and I can watch my, you know, success at that. And, you know, I got that experience even with, you know, Kit when we were together in Wyoming, you know, we got on, you know, a crag and kind of sandbagged ourselves. Nice sandbagged us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kit uh, affectionately and unknowingly sandbagged uh, herself, you know, leading the route. But then I was like, oh my gosh, this is a much harder route that she just put up. Now I have to follow it. I, you know, even on top rope, like, can I do this with five less fingers? Because the holds are just, you know, minute. And, you know, a personal thing of mine is like, I don't want to pull on gear if I don't have to, you know, if, if I can really, you know, just stick, stick to the rock and being able to, you know, do that, that climb, you know, with her and in front of her, this is our first time climbing together. Like, oh my, you know, that's, that's exciting. And, you know, somewhat, you know, makes you nervous and being able to do that successfully and go like, okay, it's really a problem solving game to me. And, you know, that was, you know, a mini goal setting um, piece of the puzzle and my overarching long-term goal, I would say, um, as a climber. Yeah. I love the kindergarten parallel that makes, makes it like all make sense. <laughs> well, that's great. You crushed that by the way. Kimber's got like the strongest right wrist of anybody. It's amazing. Thanks. I have a, in the, the gym, I still have the pull-up record 31 in a row, no kipping, just like straight pull-ups my little, you know, CrossFit gym that I had. So yeah, this, your wrist is uh, pretty strong. (laughs) I guess I'd say that my goal setting is, it takes different forms, but it's almost always when my feet are on the earth, like with movement and um, that's my creative place. So yeah, that's what I like to do is go out and just be and things come to me and I also sometimes do an indoor goal setting thing, but it's more like the dreams. It's like I play this game of I like to write down everything that I want to do in my life and then give myself just like 30 seconds or a minute, just play it like a game really short and then 
write down everything I want to do in the next five years and then write down what I want to do in the next one year. Um, and I love, I love doing that. So it's a combo of the two. And at this point in my life, it's like, I really want to keep doing what I do as long as I can. And so that really inform at the same, at, in some things at a higher level than I've done. So that really informs my goal setting um, is like a longevity in the outdoor world because it's where I'm the happiest and the most grounded. And yeah, that's why, that's why I feel like these days that I'm gone, right? I'm a mom and Kimber's alluded to that. And there was some struggle for me mentally when my kids were young and not really even anymore. Like their dad was out of town yesterday and I was, you know, going to get up and leave the house at four in the morning. And I was, there's a little piece of me that felt bad for just a quick second, whereas it used to be for a long time beforehand. And my kids were like, just go full send, go have fun, you know, and to see like to to see how I live my life that, you know, it rubs off on others is really important. So. Yeah, feet on the earth and movement is when it comes to me. And then sometimes I do this indoor game too and just play it and write it down. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories today, for your thoughts on mentorship, for kind of all these awesome conversations that we had. Is there anything else you want to leave us with as we finish up? You know, for myself in mentorship, you know, I'll, I'll do a quick you know, story about when Kent and I were together because she's alluded to vulnerability and we, you know, set up to go climb a totally different route and get on the tram out there and head up. And this um, man with some, you know, paragliding gear, it just started conversing with us. And we were like, well, YOLO, let's, let's do that first. Let's go paragliding. And so, well, I asked you, uh, I said, have you ever paraglided? And she's like, no, but it's been on my bucket list. And I was like, you just heard me say what to do with what's on your bucket list. I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah. So we still have time to climb. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And so it's like, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this and then we'll go climb. Perfect. And again, I had never, you know, been in the air like that you know I've I've been in a plane but that's you know usually I'm attached to a mountain and I don't want to go airborne Um, and so we did it and uh, we go off and it's so fun like the you know nice coasting like oh beautiful the Tetons and like so fun and then you know sweet sweet man uh, you know just kind of knowing like our little backstory why we were together and you know seeing kind of North Face on our jackets, you know, just was like, oh yeah, these are, you know, some hardcore, you know, athletes. I, I can go hardcore on this. He's like, you want to do something fun? And I was like, okay. And it turned into like, you know, full speed, like it just G-force, like swirls and flips. And by the time we landed, I was like, oh Lord, I, I'm going to go run over here for a little bit. And that turned into, you know, the next hour plus of just kind of thrown up and kind of collecting myself and being like, all right, Kit, like I just met you yesterday and uh, I'm going to be okay with this. And we get up the tram and, you know, that goes from, you know, base level to over. It goes from, yeah, 6,000, about 6,000 to 10,000 vert. Yeah. Which, you know, you're acquiring, acquiring vert quite quickly. And if you're a sea dweller like I am in 
Tacoma, Washington, you know, acclimation comes, but over, you know, hours of trekking up the mountains and whatnot. And so we get to the very top and my nausea is still there. And suddenly at altitude, it just magnifies. And I'm like, I'm not feeling myself. And I'm like, but I got to pull it together because this is Kit Delorier and she's a professional and I don't feel good. Oh my gosh. And what's so important about this story is as I was deteriorating and trying to be strong and be tough, you know, Kit's ability to, you know, take notice and be empathetic and go into, you know, a helpful mode and, you know, even a mom mode, you know, rubbing my back, realizing like, you know, we're not going to be able, you know, to stay up here. We got to get you down. And and I just so valued, you know, after that experience, you know, and the way she talked about me to people around because, you know, I needed oxygen and we had to get down the, you know, down the tram really to fix the issue, you know, but the way she spoke about me to others and, you know, like, hey, you know, she's, she's an athlete, she's, you know, strong, but here's some aspects of why, you know, she's feeling this way. And, you know, obviously the next day I'm fine and everything and we didn't get to climb that day, but I just went, wow, like the, I was able to be vulnerable and I never felt disappointment from her or shame from her. I just felt this mothering mixed with this, you know, the beauty of what a healthy mentorship, you know, would look like as you're, you know, with someone who's, you know, sick or with someone who, you know, is struggling in the mountains. And and I just took a lot away. Like my respect for her was already great, but I just was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm so thankful. Like that was her, you know, how she treated me. And in reading, you know, her, her book, Higher Love and just reading through like, wow, like even the most professional athletes, you know, have hard times in the mountains and need to ask for help and it's okay. And it hasn't been a direct question, answer, mentorship, but it's this unconscious level of learning her and reading about her in her book after the fact of already hanging out with her and going like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, being weak in the mountains is part of it. And that doesn't negate you. It doesn't negate your athleticism or you deserving to be there or your strength. Like, it's okay. Sometimes even the best have really weak moments. And so that little parallel has really kind of stayed with me. Thanks for sharing that story, Kimber. Yeah. yeah. And yes, we did go climbing the next day. Yeah. And that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I want to just kind of close with the fact that I talked to an MD friend of mine afterwards and shared that you had gotten sick. And so we didn't climb that day. And he said, you know, she probably has a really elevated sense of balance as probably may have contributed to, you know, that motion sickness, if that's what it was. So I guess I just want to close with like what what we may show up with as a weakness or a disability could most likely be also bringing another strength. Mm. That's good. Awesome. Kit and Kimber, thank you so much. This is such an awesome conversation. Thank you for your time. And I'm excited to hear all about your adventures in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. It was great.
This episode was hosted by me, Hannah Provo, and produced by Sierra McGivney and Shane Johnson. Did you love Kimber's story? Help make this podcast possible by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.